are God's image bearers. But it's not surprising that sin gets in the way of this understanding and accepting this fundamental truth from God that all men are created in his image. Uh, the fact had, that fact has nothing to do with one's religious status or nationality, economic status, or even political party. Man is God's image bearer, all men. As flawed as we are, we still carry in our very being the privileged status the privileged status of being created in the image of God. Now, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, was also God's perfect image bearer. And through his perfect life, Jesus gives to his followers uh, the opportunity to renew what was impacted, that which was impacted by Adam's sin. Through this process of sanctification, we are able to begin restoring our status as God's image bearers on earth. And as believers, we are now equipped to see all human beings with new eyes, the eyes that are open to the reality of how precious every human being is to God. For the scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 2.4 that it's God's wish that all men would be saved. Uh, image bearers are just that, image bearers. There are no big image bearers and little image bearers. There's no wide image bearers and thin image bearers. There are no first class image bearers and second class image bearers. We are all image bearers. And God has always stood by this paradigm. Uh, even in choosing the nation of Israel as his special instrument to the world, God made it clear to them that they should never consider themselves intrinsically better than other people. Uh, this fact is brought out for us in Deuteronomy 7. And verse 6, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you. Praise God for his love this morning. You know, you know, sadly, Israel would go on to lose sight of this proclamation and become puffed up over the blessings that God would bestow upon them. They thought they were special. They would lose a healthy respect for all human beings as being made in the image of God. And we know that old saying that to the victor goes the spoils. Unfortunately, those who find themselves in position of power and privilege are prone to adopt the mantle that God has bestowed a special dispensation of his image upon them. That is simply not the case. I especially want to challenge this way of thinking for any 
who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Our Lord demands that we respect all men as image bearers of God. People have intrinsic worth. So that's the central display, issue that's on display for us this morning as we look at Acts chapter 10. It's a, it's a long story. We're not going to read that entire passage. But let me just give you some of the highlights that follow out of verses 1 through 28. Uh, the story, if you have, is about vision. It's about dreams. Uh, it's about a dream of God that was given to a Jew and to a Gentile. Uh, the Gentile Cornelius is a God-fearer who is devoted to serving God. And God honors him with a dream that initially causes him to have great fear. But after getting over that fear, Cornelius went on to act and respond in obedience. Meanwhile, Peter, a Jew, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, a pillar of the church called to the office of apostle, Peter is dreaming God's dream as well. Uh, Peter is confronted in God's dream about some beliefs that are not consistent with the master's dream. He awakes from God's dream with the understanding that there are some things that he needs to deal with. There are some of the issues that he has to change. Now, God brings these two people together so they may participate as co-equals in God's dream. Peter and Cornelius would meet, and that's where I want to pick up the story this morning, beginning in verse 25. And it reads as follows. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit another of another nation, anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's the word of God. Respecting God's image when believers dream God's dream. First of all, let me share with you this thought as we talk on the subject, when believers dream God's dream, let's talk on the subject of a shattered dream. A shattered dream. As a direct consequence of the fall of Adam and Eve, God's dream that we should all respect every individual as a bearer of God's image was shattered. Adam and Eve had no idea of the cosmic implications that their one act of disobedience would have on all of God's creation. In one selfish move, the dream of eternal fellowship with God was shattered. It was shattered. 
Genesis 3.13 says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? Uh, that question, what is this that you have done, must have caused Adam and Eve to fall back in shame and fear. The disappointment in God's voice must have driven them to fear, to fear and despair for their even, even for their lives. Could you imagine God speaking those words to you in response to your sin? What have you done? The fall, the implications of the fall continue to, to impact us today. Uh, we have experienced the consequences of the shattered dream. I drew, grew up in a, in a little church, as many of you know, in, in the Bayou country of Louisiana, and, and was blessed to experience the pastorate of a, a man that I love and respect, uh, Dr. W.T. Reed. And Dr. Reverend Reed was one of the most respected men in our community. He was, he was a small man. He, he couldn't have been more than five foot seven inches tall. He's 145 pounds dripping wet. Oh, but when he got wound up, that man could really go. All right? And he had no problems holding an audience spellbound as he talked about God's love. And I, I just love to hear Reverend uh, Reed preach. And on, in many of his, his messages, he, he would get so moved and, and get so full of what was happening in his life that he would just bellow out these words. He would say, you are somebody. You are somebody. And you know, it, it never failed that when he would do that, that little church would just blow up. Uh, over to his right, we had a bench in the church. We call it the mother's bench. And on the mother's bench would be these dignified little ladies, all dressed in their white dresses and, and their white hats. And when Reverend Reed would say, you are somebody, well, you better get out of the way. <laughs> I mean, those hats would fly off and... I mean, and that, and it was about to get hot up in there, okay? And, and likewise, over to this side, we, we had the deacon board, okay? And, and those deacons, when they, when they heard, you are somebody, man, they'd jump up and they'll start hollering, go ahead, preacher. <laughs> I've tried that on Pastor Sam, it didn't work, <laughs> okay? Talk to him about that, okay? And, and, uh, <laughs> so, so as a little boy, that, to be honest with you, that was a bit scary for me. I, you know, but after a while, I got to the point where I started really thinking about it. Why would those simple words, you are somebody, have such a big impact on those people? Uh, these were people that meant everything to me. Uh, they were the people that I respected most in life. These people loved me. Uh, they fed me. They cared for me. They made sure I was safe. They were the most beautiful people that I knew. And it didn't matter to me one little bit that they cleaned other people's toilets, that they washed other people's clothes, that they cooked other people's food, or they seemed to always have worry on their minds. Uh, these were my folks, and my greatest dream was to grow up to be just like them.
course they were somebody. What in the world was Reverend Smith hollering about? Well, as I started to grow up, it soon became very evident how important it was for my people to be reminded every now and then that they were somebody. For you see, they lived in a world where far too many times they were treated like anything but a child of God. For far too many times, when they took one step forward, something ungodly would happen to drive them three steps backwards. For far too many times, after all of their hard work and labor, they would have to face the reality that somebody had changed the rules of the game to walk against them, to work against them. Too many times they had been told, well, that's good enough for you people. In a world that relegated them to second-class status, they just needed a place to come and to soothe their battered souls. They needed somebody to come and tell them, you are somebody. Now, when that reality started to dawn on me, I began to understand and rejoice with them. But let me tell you something else. There was something else that was much, much more profound that began to dawn on me. Uh, it began to dawn on me as I began to truly grow in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I truly then began to understand the true meaning of you are somebody. And then when I did, that's something that's really worthy to rejoice about. For you see, none of us, none of us are truly somebody until we know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. You could gain all the world has to offer. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then you are not somebody. And that's one of the realities of a shattered dream. In a shattered dream, people get to determine what gives a person value. Uh, maybe it's how you look. Straight hair versus kinky hair. Well, maybe... It's how you talk, proper English, or rap. Well, maybe it's about how much money you make, salaried versus hourly. Uh, maybe it has to do with what side of the track you live on, or whom you voted for for president, or if you graduated from Princeton or the School of Hard Knocks. See, people who are somebody in the, in the scattered, shattered dream world, know just what it takes to disrespect the image of God that all people share. The shattered dream somebodies are bigoted, base, biased, prejudiced people who just don't get it. And it must truly grieve God's heart when the shattered dream somebodies call themselves Christians. My brothers and sisters in Christ, these things just ought not be. You are somebody because you've been brought with a price and you're no longer your own. 
You are somebody because you understand that in God's eyes, there are no second-class citizens. You are somebody because you know that God didn't choose you because you were better than anybody else. No, you recognize that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And when he died, the shattered dream takes on a different reality. Because as Pastor Sam preached last week, we are now in the process of being restored. You are somebody, and because you are, your heartfelt desire is that everyone else is treated as somebody as well. We are all made in the image of God. Everyone made in the image of God. Nothing any of us could do, nothing any of us could be born with would alter that fact any more or any less. We must learn to respect the fact that all people are made in God's image, even in a world where we must deal with the reality of the shattered dream. Amen? And so as we reflect on a shattered dream, it begs the question of how do we change that reality? Uh, that by far too many people in this world are considered to be not God's image. And so that brings me to my second point. Uh, let me share about a sacrificial dream. A sacrificial dream. And talk a little about what it takes to achieve that. And when we do, we begin to dream God's dream. I call your attention back to Acts chapter 10. And let's look a little bit closer at Peter's dream. Uh, we're going to pick up at verse 13. Acts 10, verse 13. And here's what happens in this dream that God gives to Peter. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him a second time. What God has cleaned, has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, I think we could probably each understand Peter's dilemma. All of his life, all of his life, Peter had been raised to follow a strict dietary regimen. Uh, there were just certain things he couldn't eat. But more restrictive, and even uh, as Peter dealt with that issue of don't eat this and don't eat that, as time went on, this restrictive mentality went beyond food. It started to, to, to filter out and impact people as well. Don't play with them. Uh, don't hang out with that type. Uh, you're better than them. And that was the issue that Peter was working on, that God was working on in Peter's heart, to change that reality. If we allow anything to come into our mindset that prevents us from reaching out to all people, who are made in the image of God, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, we are sinning. If we fail in our God-given command to go out into all the earth, 
to make nations of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to make those disciples, then we are sinning. But furthermore, I need you to consider this point. If we think it's okay to share the gospel with them, but then go on to deny them full membership with all its rights and privileges, that's sinning as well. We can't be in the business of sending out missionaries and being evangelists with the intent that all we want to do is make sure they don't spend eternity in hell. That's good. And to do likewise would be, otherwise would be, would be to sin. But we are then to go on and open our hearts and our, our, the doors of our churches and our homes and welcome them in as full-fledged brothers and sisters in Christ. In Peter's dream... He had to kill in order to participate. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. He had, Peter had to sacrifice a lot of what he held dear in order to please God. Now, he would have to sacrifice long-held practices and beliefs to move from disrespecting the image of God to embracing it in all people. People had to Peter had to kill the lie that was firmly rooted in his heart and how he was raised. And there may be people even here today that need to do likewise. In order to fully embrace people, all people, as God's image bearers, some of us need to sacrifice. Some of us need to kill the thinking that we've been raised with to open our hearts to a new reality. And that may not be an easy sacrifice, but it's a required sacrifice. If there's anything that you're holding on to that is more important to you than seeing others as worthy of being God's image, you gotta kill it. Is there a tradition more sacred to you than removing any barrier that may prevent you from being an effective witness of Christ? If there is, you've got to kill it. Are you willing to do as the Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I am willing to become all things to all people so that I may save some. Are you willing to kill anything else? If giving up wearing red would help you to more effectively witness to someone concerning the love of Jesus Christ, would you be willing to give up red? Beloved, these are the issues we need to grapple with as we seek to strive God, to serve God as our highest priority. There's nothing more important any of us could do than to see others come to the love of Jesus Christ. There's nothing we could do. There's not our careers. There's not our, our nation. There's not our neighborhood. There's not our homes. There's not our bank account. Nothing is more important than having that as our number one priority in life. Are you willing to kill and sacrifice everything that you hold dear for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to participate in this dream? Now, we are all familiar with Jesus' many teachings uh, that 
what should be important in our lives. Uh, in Mark 8.36, here's a very familiar passage. It says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Well, let me play with that just a little bit if you don't mind. Uh, how about if we thought about it this way? For what does it cost a man if he gains Christ and forfeits all of the profit that the world has to offer? You see my point? What does it cost a man if he gains Christ and has to go on and forfeit all the profit that the world has to offer? If we're truly on board with the supremacy of gaining Christ in our lives, what does it matter if we never gain anything the world holds dear? What if we truly lived as if we're fully embraced, we fully embrace becoming all things to all people so that we may save some? How do we continue to hold on to earthly pride and standards when image bearers of God suffer and are killed and are oppressed all over the world, even for some people right in our own backyards? We should grieve when our country, when our leaders promote any types of barriers that would divide us along the lines of race or ethnicity or any other man-made barrier. Let me remind you that God declared that we are all image bearers, even after the fall. This extends even to non-Christians because we must respect all people as image bearers of God. We need to sacrifice any dream that is not God's dream. Well, I know that our time is, is rapidly moving away. Let me, let me cover one more point. Not only is there the reality of the, sh of the shattered dream, and there's a, a command to live out a sacrificial dream, but there's also a need to build a shared dream. A shared dream. When believers dream God's dream, by definition, it means that the dream is not of our own creation. Rather, it's a dream that God dreams. And it's a dream that God is loving enough to share with us. Again, that's the purpose of Acts 10, to show Peter and Cornelius that they were co-equal in God's dream. Uh, it's through Christ that we are able to begin dreaming like God dreams. It's God's dream that representatives from all the people of the earth will come to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and join with him for all of eternity. God is extending that invitation to everyone. Come and see that the Lord is good. We must never, ever let our personal biases stand in the way of sharing that dream. And then we must fully go on. We must go on to fully embrace all who the Lord brings to us to share in the dream. You know, there's an interesting dream that Jesus presents for us in Luke 12. It's a dream about inclusion. But the dream has a funny start to it. 
uh, because those that were privileged rejected the dream, rejected the participation, and said they had a different agenda. Let me pick up what Jesus taught beginning in verse 21, Luke 12, 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there still is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You know, we have the privileged position of being invited to the banquet of God. In this parable, there were invited guests of the king who put their own agenda ahead of that of the king. Uh, they had their own priorities driving their agenda. There was no room for them to mingle with the common folk around town. They were just better than anyone else. They had more important things to do. But the king was not about to let their narrow-mindedness stand in the way of his agenda. Uh, there is a world full of his image bearers who, if invited, are ready to join the feast. He has room in his kingdom for every one of them. Now, that's a dream that God dreams. It's a dream that he wants all believers to share. I want West Park to share that dream. We've got a banquet going on in here. And God wants the nobodies out there to come in so we can tell them that they are somebody. Uh, you know what my dream is for West Park? Let me just share that with you briefly. Uh, my dream is that any true born-again Holy Ghost-filled, sanctified, fire-baptized believer in Jesus Christ, if that person would walk through those doors, they would be so overwhelmed with the presence and with the love of God up in this place that there would be no man-made barriers that would prevent them from joining this church if God so led them to do so. That's my barrier. That's my dream. That's the barrier I want to see eliminated. Look, guys, I don't believe in quotas. You know, some types of this or so many of that. Uh, that's totally missing the point. My dream is that we get rid of all man-made barriers that could possibly stop people from joining us here at West Park. And if God so decreed that this congregation would be 100% green people, or 100% purple people, or 100% blue people. That's all right with me. Just as long as God's will be done. But, but, if it means that I'm able to look out at this church and see in this congregation a representation 
of what John the Apostle saw in Revelation 7-9, then I would rejoice. For it says, and after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You are somebody. That's my dream, to see us go into the highways and, and byways and respect the fact that all men are created equal in God's sight. And that all image bearers are welcomed in this house of the Lord. Will you join me? Will you join me? And so that brings me to the conclusion about when believers dream God's dream. Uh, thank you so much for listening and putting up with me. Uh, you know, it's, uh, um, it, it's difficult to reflect upon these so many examples of when I and, and people that I love have not been fully embraced as image bearers of God. But you know, just because that happens to be the case, I don't let that hinder me one little bit. And I want you to hear that. Uh, just because that's the case, uh, I don't let that hinder me one little bit. And you know why? Because I know that I'm somebody in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Do you know this morning if you're somebody in the eyes of Christ? If you don't, the invitation is always extended. Christ says he stands at the door and knocks. If any man would op open that door and invite him in, he will come and sup with them. All you need to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you too will become somebody. Now let me leave this final thought with you. If you look at our insert in our bulletin this morning, on the back page, uh, there's a little thing about pray. Pray, and hopefully you'll take this with you this week and, and maybe look at it and consider it. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. Underneath pray, I've listed several things for your consideration. You know, as we've gone through our message this morning, it's kind of interesting to me that there's a whole lot of eating going on. There's a whole lot of talk about coming to a banquet. And I guess maybe we like to eat, do we? Okay, well, maybe we do, maybe we don't. But, but there's no doubt that Adam and Eve enjoyed an unequal feast in the Garden of Eden. Peter's vision was full of food and eating. Jesus taught about inviting people to come and enjoy his banquet. John the Revelator described the banquet's feast that will one day take place in heaven. You know, I think this, this whole idea of breaking bread together is a very important concept that God would have us to think about. My wife's father, Mr. Lewis Curtis, is a man that I deeply respect. And Mr. Curtis, dad, as I call him, has been forced to endure some very dark times over his 90 years, praise God for that, his 90 years of life on this earth. Hard times that have been really 
birth out of prejudice and bias in our nation. But one day I was just sitting down talking with uh, Dad, talking with Mr. Curtis, and I said, hey, Dad, tell me something. From your perspective, from a man who's seen many things, uh, a man that has fought in three of the wars that this country has, uh, has waged, a man that has been president of the National Buffalo Soldier Association, if, if you guys know what that is, a man that has been an educator, a man that has given his life to standing up for what is right for all people at all times. I said, Dad, if you just had to pick one thing that you would, that a man could do that would show to you that he saw you as an equal, I said, Dad, what would that be? And he thought a minute, and he said, well, here's, here's something a man could do that would let me know that he saw me as his equal. If a man would invite me into his home, set me at his table, and share his bread with me, that's a big step towards demonstrating that he saw me as an equal. I think that, that has a world of wisdom for it. Maybe as the, the insert says on one of the bullets, maybe you need to take a look around and maybe the Lord has blessed you to sit next to or to come into contact with a person of a different race, a different nationality, a different religious background. And maybe God is saying to you, open up your heart. Invite that person in. Let them have a seat at your table. Feed them your food. And then demonstrate to them that they are image bearers. And if they would be open to the love of Jesus Christ, then they too could become somebody. Could you do that? Could you think about doing that? Could you think about the fact that God calls us all to be representatives of his image bearer? So I'm going to ask Doug to come here, and we're going to, we're going to close with a hymn of invitation and, and sing to our Lord. Uh, but as we do so, let me pray for us and pray for our time as we leave this place and we ask God to continue to share with us the importance of being his image bearers. So Lord, we thank you. For you indeed you are good, you are worthy, you are Lord. And we just thank you for the wonderful privilege we have to go into the highways and the byways and invite people to come to the banquet of the Lord. You're a good God, you're a good, good father. And we thank you so much for this opportunity. So bless us now, Lord as we leave this place, but never your presence. In Christ's name we pray, amen.